Uh, let's go before the Lord this morning and just ask Him to, to bless uh, His Word. Our great God and, and Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that You would just bless Your Word in our midst today. Uh, we are reminded of the psalmist who Hebrews also repeats, says, Today, if we hear Your voice, do not harden your hearts in rebellion. Lord, I pray that as we hear the Word of God, we would be reminded that we are hearing the living and active voice of God, which desires to change us as You seek to use the Spirit to work in us. Soften our hearts. Make us tender, Lord. Help us to respond to You and, and listen and obey in our, in our daily lives. Uh, give us courage and strength, a desire to remain faithful to You. Uh, to endure to the very end and hold fast to the wonderful confession of faith that Jesus is Lord and He died on the cross and rose again from the dead to save uh, us to Himself. We praise You for this. We just thank You for the power of Your Word. Lord, be with me as I seek to be faithful in preaching Your Word. Uh, give me the words to say. In Your name we pray. Amen. We finished up Colossians right before my vacation, and I wasn't sure where I was going to go after my vacation. I'm still not sure where we're going to go. Uh, I've been praying about the possibility of doing some sermons in Acts, uh, but I was coming back from vacation, and I, I needed to have a, a sermon, obviously. Uh, Hebrews has always just been uh, one of my favorite books. When I was younger, my favorite book of the Bible was Romans. Somewhere along the way, it shifted now uh, to the book of Hebrews. But I hope this message will be encouraging to you. And I want to start out by, by asking you to think a little bit uh, about your prayer life. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but perhaps you have been in situations where you've, you've lacked a measure of, of confidence uh, in your prayers. Uh, maybe you've been at, at a point in your life at some time uh, where you can remember praying and just wondering to yourself, are my prayers even being heard? Are they getting through? Now, we know that God is everywhere and He sees and hears all things, but, but sometimes we, we feel like we are pouring ourselves out in prayer and we wonder, where is God right now? Maybe you've been in situations in your life where you, have, you, you know you have sinned. You know that your sin uh, displeases uh, uh, holy God, and you know that this is a sin that you've sinned with before, and you feel like I have asked for forgiveness for this sin before, and I now again fell back into it. How is God ever going to forgive me? And maybe you've even wondered, should I even pray? Because I know that God is displeased with my sin. Can I even approach Him right now and have Him hear my prayers. Jesus is our help in prayers. Jesus is our help in prayer. Now, Jesus is the reason that you and I can turn and pray and have our prayers heard. And let me encourage you today that the strength of your praying does not ultimately rely upon you. You cannot stir up in God a, a desire to love you more than He already loves you in Jesus Christ. It's not as if He is 
far away from you if you know Jesus Christ. And you have to shout louder because He is up in heaven and you are here on earth. And maybe if you can get loud enough, He will hear your prayers. Sometimes, even in our prayers, we think that if we cry enough or we show enough emotion or we say enough of the right words, that will make God hear them more. God hears our prayers on the basis of Jesus Christ, not because of anything you and I bring to the table. So Christ is our help in prayer because He is merciful. He is a merciful and faithful high priest. Now, I trust that a number of us are are familiar enough with the Old Testament that we know what a priest does. We're going to unpack this a little bit this morning, but I want you to remember that Jesus Christ is our help in prayer. And He does this as one who is merciful and faithful, even when we are not. So first this morning, Jesus can help in our prayers, or in our prayer life. Jesus can help in our prayer because... He became a high priest. So Jesus becomes just like us in in the taking on of humanity. I trust that you know the Bible well enough to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God the Son. But He is born of a virgin, born in Mary's womb, or out of Mary's womb, and He is completely human, without setting aside any of His godness, any of His deity or being God, He is completely human. Look at verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things. Here you need to look back at verse 13 where it quotes Psalm 22 saying, And I will put my trust in Him. Now this is put on the words of Jesus saying, I, Jesus, will put my trust in Him, God the Father. And then it says, And again, behold, I, Jesus, and the children, that's us, God has given me. This is speaking about Jesus in heaven. Jesus' earthly life. He puts His trust in Him. He goes back up into heaven. Verse 12, He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. That's put on the words of Jesus. Jesus calling us in this passage two things. One, His brothers. If we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are a brother or sister of Jesus. Now, we are not a biological brother. We don't have the same DNA. But we are in the same family. God has a special relationship with His Son. But we enjoy the privileges of having the same sort of relationship where God is our Father. And Jesus, even though He is our Lord, He is our Master, He calls us a brother. This is a nice way of saying brothers and sisters. But He also calls us here His children. We are Jesus' children. And so because we are people of flesh and blood, if you poked yourself with a needle, you will bleed. Uh, Some of us, you know, we can pinch our skin. We get sunburn when we're outside for too long because we are flesh and blood. And it says here, since therefore we, the children, share in flesh and blood. Uh, All of us here have the same core in our humanity. We are all flesh and blood. I, I trust that we are all flesh and blood, that there are no secret cyborgs or something here today. Uh, we are all flesh and blood. It says, He Himself likewise 
partook of the same things. Now you know this truth well, I trust. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, we have seen His glory, uh, the glory of His only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. First John tells us, the apostles, we saw Him. We touched Him. We heard His voice. He was real and tangible in a human body. Colossians 2, 9, speaking of Jesus, for in Him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In our passage in Hebrews where it says, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, the word likewise is used in situations where there is no difference. Where there's no differentiation. Meaning that Jesus shares completely in the same humanity of flesh and blood that you and I partake of. Now, He did not stop being God in this process. He was entirely God for all eternity past. There is no shadow in God, no change, no, no shifting sands. Uh, the earth, Psalm 102 tells us, and, and Hebrews 1 quotes this, the earth gets old. It, it wears out like a coat. If you've ever had a, a rug in your house and you walk over it enough, it gets traffic on it and it wears down. But God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the one God, God does not get old. He does not get weary. He does not tire. But God the Son, who all of this is true of, at a point in time also takes on human nature, becomes truly human, 100% human being. Because that's who we are. And He wants to save us and represent us and die for us in our place. And so to do that, He has to also partake of human flesh. Become flesh and blood. And this happens, of course, in the virgin birth. And then He is, he is born of a, of a woman, born of a baby, uh, the New Testament tells us. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. So first it said, therefore, because the children share in flesh and blood. Now it's picking up on that same thing that Hebrews has been saying. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Meaning, his humanity is a completely true humanity. And we're going to look at this in a minute, but the, the Bible tells us clearly that Jesus does not have sin. But He is truly human. How is that possible? When you and I are born, we are born as sinful creatures. But it is not essential to being human. It is something that happens now. Everybody born is born into sin. But we will be human in resurrection bodies in heaven, and we won't have sin. Adam and Eve, how were they created? Uh, I don't know what you're doing in Sunday school, Helen, but my daughter asked me this morning, did Adam and Eve have perfect bodies? Uh, were they good-looking before the fall? She was taking a poll. Uh, I'll let the rest of you answer that. My point for my sermon is that Adam and Eve in the garden when they were created were completely human, even before they sinned. And so Jesus takes on complete humanity yet he is unstained from sin. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. 
For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heaven. That speaks now of what has happened to him, exalted into heaven. But notice, he is holy and innocent and unstained. He, he never had any sin. In fact, Hebrews goes on to tell us that this is the problem with the Old Testament high priests. Remember how they would, they would go into the temple or into the tabernacle, depending if, if the temple had been built yet or not. And, and they would take in a, a sacrifice for the people, the, the blood of a lamb. And they would go in once a year, not into just the holy place, but, but behind the curtain into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, the throne of God. And they would sprinkle that blood over the mercy seat. It was a reminder of the forgiveness of sins that was needed. But the problem, two problems. One, they had to repeat that every year because the blood of goats and bulls did not cleanse us from sins. It was just a symbol. The second problem is the guy going in there was just as sinful as the people on the outside waiting for him to go in. He actually had to offer a sacrifice first for his own sins so that he would be clean in the eyes of God and then he could go in to represent the people. Jesus never sinned and so he can represent you. He can go into the presence of God on your behalf so that when you are praying, Jesus is in heaven hearing your prayers and taking them before God the Father. That's what it means when we say that Jesus is our intercessor. He is the go-between. The Father loves us and delights in hearing our prayers, but it is the cleansing blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, that enables our prayers to come into the presence of God. So Christ becomes like us so that we, He can become the propitiation for our sins. So in His humanity, Christ comes to earth. He shares in this flesh and blood. And then verse 14 says this, so that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's us. We all Unless the Lord returns, we will all die. We all grow old. Uh, all of you here in the front row who are very young, I was your age once. And when I was your age, you were like knee high. I remember some of you at that age. And I won't embarrass you today. But we all grow old. I think one of the reasons our culture is so hyped on things like plastic surgery or fitness. Now, now the big push is you know you got to get a gym membership, got to be fit, and and you got to stay young. And we don't want to grow old, and and so you buy products that that keep people from thinking you're really old. You got a little gray on your hair, uh, just buy something and and paint it out, and and that becomes more popular. Uh, my kids love to remind me that I'm only 35 and I'm getting gray hair. You know what? That's the way it goes. Don't expect me to dye it out. My kids just love reminding me that I'm old. But why does our culture run away from those things? It's because we have this fear of death. 
We don't want to get old. We don't want to, to face reality straight in the face. If you know Jesus Christ, there is no fear of death. Um, I won't tell you you need to embrace all of your wrinkles or your gray hair or, or the getting old. Nobody likes that. But there is no fear. Because Jesus Christ came to earth. He partook of flesh and blood so that He could die in our place. The eternal God who upholds the universe by the word of His mighty power, who does not grow old, who does not get weary, who does not tire or slumber, took on humanity. And He got tired in His humanity. And He wore Himself out of energy in His humanity. He needed to eat to sustain Himself. He needed to breathe. He needed to sleep to regenerate. And He could die in His humanity. And He did this so that He could go to the cross and defeat the devil and death. So Christ allowed Himself to become like us in humanity so that He could take on the, the consequences of our sin, having no sin Himself. He could become, as our verse says, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He became a, a sacrifice of atonement. The Word goes back to the Old Testament. There, there was the Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark of the Covenant, there was the mercy seat. This is like the throne of God or His, his footstool in the center of the temple. And the priest goes in and he sprinkles it with blood. And that is the mercy seat of God. Jesus Christ becomes not only the sacrifice, He becomes not only the priest who goes in, He becomes that place, the mercy seat. So that God's wrath for sin, His anger, His holiness, His, his perfect justice is, is poured out onto Jesus in His human flesh and blood. And Jesus becomes like one bearing a load. But you know what? That wrath that God has for sin, it is exhausted. That's part of what propitiation means. That wrath is poured out, but that wrath is exhausted. Oftentimes in Scripture, the, the, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, is called the cup of His wrath. So you imagine a, a, the punishment that God has for sin in this, this cup, and it is poured out and, and we are here and this wrath should come upon us and Jesus Christ who now has become like us in our humanity steps in to represent us so that he catches all of that wrath and, and bears the load so it does not come down and touch us. And when that wrath is poured out, it's like pouring water onto dry, dusty ground. Have you ever seen water just on poured onto dry ground and it just sucks away and it, it is gone and there is no more. God's wrath is gone. It is no more for your sin and my sin if you trust in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ stood in our place and He absorbed that. He became the, the shock absorber that bore the full weight that God had for wrath for our sin. That is how Jesus represents us. His death covers our sin. 
when you and I pray, Jesus is serving as a high priest. In the Old Testament, you would know, I would assume, your high priest. You would at least know his name. If you were in a crowd, you can see him and touch him, and he was tangible, and he was real. And you could say, that is the guy that is going into the presence of God on my behalf. You could say, I know I'm a sinner, but that guy is going to represent me. The problem, though, with that guy in the Old Testament, as I've already said, is he was a sinner. Jesus is just like in us in every respect of humanity, except without sin. So you can look at him and you can say, that's the guy that represents me. That's the guy that goes in on my behalf. That's the one who, as it were, carries my prayers into the presence of God. He represents me. He's my lawyer. I I was going to say he's my insurance agent, but that might not be a good image to to put into your mind. Um, You you don't want to think of of heaven as as some sort of cheap fire insurance or I'll sin and I've got coverage for it or or something like that. Uh, But Jesus goes in there as our agent as our representative. And now, what is he doing up in heaven? He sits down at the right hand of the Father. He is finished. His sacrifice is done. And he takes your prayers before the throne of God. You can pray boldly because of what Jesus has done. Do not fear prayer. Do not fear approaching God. Don't, don't take it flippantly, right? Um, one of the big problems in our world today is, is people don't have a, a, a healthy fear of God, a, a respect that treats Him as, as bigger than ourselves, as not someone to be trifled with. We, we treat Him like someone to, to fist bump, to, to pal around with. God is so much bigger than us. God is so gracious that even though my sins are great, Christ's sacrifice is greater. And even when I sin as a Christian, Jesus has trusted God perfectly. He never failed like I fail. And He's in the presence of God now. And He is representing you and I. So that when you pray, not only will you find mercy and grace from Jesus the High Priest, you will find it from the Father. Because the Father is loving. And the Father looks at His Son and sees us through the lens of what Jesus Christ has done. Have a boldness in your prayer life. Have a boldness even when you ask for forgiveness of sin. Again, don't take it flippantly. Don't treat it like a credit card where you can just rack up as much debt as you want because you know uh, someone else will pay off the bill. But when you are truly repentant, Do not be afraid to ask for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus Christ covers your sins. Second this morning, Jesus is our help in prayer as one who understands our struggle since He too faced struggles of suffering and temptation. Uh, That point got a little bit away from me there, a little bit longer than I wanted when I wrote it. But, But I want you to think about this. Jesus is our help in prayer as one who understands struggle. How does Jesus understand struggle? In his earthly human life, he faced trials, temptations, and 
struggles. So Jesus suffered and was tempted in his earthly life. Look with me, if you will, at chapter 2, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So he completely shares in our humanity. And one of the things about humanity is we face temptations from the outside. We face struggles. We face difficulties in life. And what are we supposed to do in every one of those difficulties? We even sort of sang about it in the one hymn, standing on the promises of God. We are to trust God. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I can't tell you how many times I sung that as a child. And it is so simple and it is so basic. And I got to be an adult and I realized it's not always as simple as it sounds. It is very simple, and, and yet it, I should be trusting, but my, but my human nature says, oh, that, oh, you, you, really? You think that'll work this time around? And you learn these things, and you go through difficulties, and maybe it's just a sick child, or maybe it's a, a death in the family, and you, you really have to lean on God, and suddenly you're like, well, duh, I, I should have known that, I Trust and obey. I've, I've sung that how many times? But, but the actual going through it, it it's an experience that, that stretches you. Jesus Christ, even though he is the eternal son of God, he comes to earth and in the same way as a human being in his temptations, he trusts the Father perfectly. A number of times Jesus faces temptations. The obvious one is when Jesus faces the three temptations from Satan in the wilderness. I won't go into those. I'll just lay them before you. Another time, though, I think that Satan tempts Jesus is using the Apostle Peter. Remember when Peter in Matthew chapter 16 had just confessed that Jesus is the Christ and then Jesus starts teaching the disciples privately, now the Christ, let me tell you what's going to happen to me, I am going to suffer and die for your sins. And Peter pulls Jesus aside. Jesus, I don't think you want to be saying that. That's not very positive and upward. He says, that is not going to happen to you, Jesus. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. I think Peter there is tempting Jesus. Peter is, is teaching false doctrine and telling Jesus, don't say these things, Jesus. It is not true. It is true. Jesus is going to come and suffer and die. And Jesus responds by rebuking Peter. The Garden of Gethsemane, where it says Jesus sweat like drops of blood. Can you imagine the anxiety that would lead you to start breaking blood vessels on your forehead? You ever watch somebody get really mad at you and, and they've got like a vein that like pops and twitches? And, but imagine the pressure of knowing what is going to come upon him as he bears God's wrath for our sin. Knowing that this is the path of obedience. Why do you think Jesus prays, not my will, but your will? says, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Jesus was 100% committed to obeying God and trusting his Father in that moment. 
But he did not relish the cross. He, he was not going, all right, yay! And finally, the day is here. All right, looking forward to this all my life. The anxiety was overwhelming. He understands what it is like to suffer and have the weight of the burdens of life upon him. The pressure of temptation right there. Hebrews chapter 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, in a very real sense, has been there. Jesus does not have a sin nature stirring up desires to sin like, like we have in our hearts. But he had that same necessity in his human nature that he had to resist temptation, resist and hold fast in the struggles of life. And Jesus now can sympathize with our weaknesses. He himself had weakness in that he could come under death now. He understands when we go through. It says, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In every respect, I think we need to be careful here. I I don't think it means that he had in every respect all the exact same circumstances of, of temptation. For example, I'll give you an obvious one, and I don't mean to be flippant with this, but Jesus was never tempted with internet pornography because the internet didn't exist. But in every respect, he had all the the temptations that a human being faces in this life bombarding him. There would have been, I assume, pretty ladies in the crowds that gathered around Jesus. And had Jesus been sinful in his heart like us, Perhaps it would have stirred up some kind of lust. And so, even though he was perfect, there was this presence around him that could lead to temptations. Perhaps temptations to throw in the towel. I don't know why I put up with these stupid disciples. They never get it anyways. Perhaps temptations while he's on the cross to say, you know what? Well, I know, you know, as Satan is tempting him, Satan's saying, just bow down before me and I will give you all of the earth. It's, it's the promise of the kingdom that Jesus, every knee will bow before you without the necessity of the cross. Satan's saying, you don't have to die. You can have all of this exaltation, all of this rulership and kingship And everyone will know that you are Jesus. Jesus being told, just bow down to me, Satan. Satan saying that. Just throw in the towel. Forget this cross business. Do you think that was a temptation? I think it was. If you have ever had any kind of pain, any kind of struggle with pain, any kind of chronic illness. Uh, my wife says that men are terrible, meaning me, when we get sick. Because we are whiners. And we will do anything to get out of this. 
Just give me the drugs. Give me the medicine. I'll take the shortcut. Jesus faced that kind of pressure because he was a human being. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus poured his heart out to God the Father. That's why in Hebrews 2.13 it says, quoting Psalm 22, I will put my trust in him, Jesus says. I will trust my Father. And it was a weight, it was a pressure, and he's crying out, God help me, God save me. When he's saying on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit, he is not only quoting the Psalms, but he is saying, like the psalmist says, this weight is unbearable. And I trust you, Father, but, but it's hard. I am a human and have weaknesses and I can die now. Again, Jesus did not stop being God. Jesus did not have any sin whatsoever. But Jesus in these temptations, he, he did not use his deity, his godness, like some sort of divine muscle. I'll just flex the muscle and pow, Satan is gone. Just play the God card like a trump. And, and you know, the irony of the temptation is Jesus in his godhood is upholding the existence of Satan by the word of his mighty power, that he could say one word and Satan would cease to exist. And how does Jesus fight the temptation? He quotes Scripture. Like you and I should quote Scripture. He trusts God the Father like you and I should trust God the Father. This is why it says, Jesus Christ can sympathize with your weakness. In a very real sense, even though he never had sin, in a very real sense, Jesus Christ was there. He's been there where you are, facing that pressure, facing that, that outward temptation of people saying to you, you know, you ought to just give up on God. One of my kids, I won't tell you which one because it might embarrass them. This happened, and I know it's happened to all of you. This happened about six months ago. One of them was going through something, something that everyone goes through as they get older. It, it was something with friends or something at, at school. And she's relaying the situation to me. And, and like point by point, the exact same thing had happened to me in high school. And it was some friend did something and it created a stir and now it's creating problems and it's upsetting and, and it's a trial. And, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, dear. You know, we, we've all been there. We know what it's like to go through that. And she looks at me and she says, Dad, you don't know what it's like. It's not like when you were a kid. How many of us have said, I've, I, I know I said something very similar at times to my parents, right? It's like, it's like turnabout is fair play. You, you just don't understand. It's not like when you were a kid. How tempting would it be to pray to God and say, God, you just don't understand. You've never had to face death. You're eternal. I tell you, Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest who can sympathize in our weaknesses because he has been there. 
because he took on true humanity. And how much more? You know, we're born into humanity. We're kind of stuck with it. Jesus could have looked down and said, I'm not going down there. Those people get old. They get gray hair. I'll have to go to sleep at night. Jesus can sympathize in your weakness. One of my favorite verses in Matthew 20, 12, and it's quoting Isaiah, where it says of Jesus, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. You will find Jesus to be most tender, most merciful. Dear child of God, if you cry out to Jesus in your trials, in your struggles, in your illnesses, in your weaknesses, in your moments where you're wondering why you keep coming to church, or you're wondering why you keep trusting in Jesus, or you're wondering why your prayers aren't seemingly being heard, you will find mercy and grace by the very one who in his humanity knew what it was like to cry out with loud pleas in his prayer life. I can almost guarantee to you that no matter how hard you pray in trusting God, Jesus Christ in his earthly life prayed even harder to the one who delivered him from death. The psalmist talks often about the cords of Sheol, of death, of the grave, wrapping around his neck and, and choking him. And you get these images of a guy like going down and grasping for his last breath and it's going to kill him crying out the psalmist. Jesus experienced all that and more. And that's why he helps in our prayer life. And that's why when I pray, I have complete assurance that he hears my prayer. That doesn't mean I always get what I want, right? James tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. And when we ask, we ask with the wrong motives so that we might spend it on our selfish pleasures. I'm not saying that you can just go and, dear God, give me a million dollars. And, oh, okay, well, that sounds like a good idea to me. But when you plead, when you ask for mercy, when you have genuine needs, God hears. And God answers. And the strange thing about the way God answers prayer is sometimes... He does not remove that burden. He did not remove that burden of death when Jesus was on the cross. But God delivered him up out of it in resurrection. Sometimes God does walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. But he does not leave us. And he gives us mercy and grace in those times. Let me just say a few words. First, your high priest has perfectly triumphed over death for you. And he is able and willing and desirous of helping you. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Hebrews 7.25 says that Jesus Christ is always, quote, living to make intercession for them. And it goes on, it says, For indeed it was fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted to the heavens. He has no need 
like those high priests of old, to, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of his people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus' sacrifice is so perfect that when you cry out to Jesus as your high priest, His blood will cover your sin. He has sat down in heaven and He is done with the sacrifices. But He hears your prayers. And He gives you grace. And He responds mercifully. Will you pray to Him? Will you trust Him? Second, be bold in your prayers. You can approach God. Be bold in your prayers. The book of Ephesians tells us that God can can give us more than we can ask for or even imagine. Do not hesitate, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to recognize with reverence that you are coming before God. But you are coming before God. Remember in the Old Testament when Esther goes before her husband of all people, a human king, she has to stop. And, and if the king does not extend the scepter and say, you can come in, that's it, she's dead. Could, ladies, could you imagine like your husband is in the living room on the couch and, and, and you step in and, and you're like waiting for him to extend the TV remote so you can come into his presence? Um, that would not fly in my house, I tell you that. You can go into the presence of God because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and as you pray, Jesus is not waiting to say, well, let's see if I want Him to come in today. He's, come, bring your, bring your prayers. What do you need from Me? What, what do you have to tell Me? Do you have a, a mercy and grace that, that I can lavish upon you? Because Jesus is a good, high Prayer hearing God. And the Father is a loving, compassionate Father who any wrath that He might have had for our sins has been turned aside by the plan of the Father and the work of the Son. Be bold when you pray. Hebrews tells us, let us then with confidence Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, speaking of Jesus, says, In whom, Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence through Him in faith. In the Old Testament, the high priest would wear a robe with with bells on the bottom of it. Our dog has a dog collar and when he runs around you can hear it jingle so you know where he is in the house. They wore these robes with these bells so that when he walked in they could hear him moving around and they're on the outside and he had a cord on his leg and if, if he died because he wasn't, hadn't asked forgiveness for his own sins, no, you can't go in there and get him because you'll die too. So they, they have to pull him out. Jesus is your high priest, and now it says, I can boldly approach God because that veil, speaking of other New Testament passages, has been torn away. 
I can now go into the presence of God. I can approach him in prayer with boldness. I can go right up to the throne and worship. Because Jesus has been good to me. Lastly, Hebrews 10, verses 22 to 23. Let us draw near with a true heart and assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's what Jesus did for us. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I don't know what's going on in all of your hearts today, but it's quite possible that somebody here today is thinking about walking away from Jesus, thinking about giving up on the faith. And for those of you that are teenagers, if you haven't had one of those moments, most of us at some point in our life will face that moment where we're saying, why do I really believe? And some, for us, it's a turning point where you say, you know what? I've got to keep trusting what I know to be true. And others, it becomes a turning point where they walk away. Hold fast to that confession of the faith. Because Jesus has made it possible. He assures you that God is real in his resurrection. And he makes it possible for you to pray and cry out. And don't hesitate when those doubts come up. Do not hesitate to bring them up in your prayer life. To say, Lord, I know you're real, but I'm having a hard time seeing it right now. I believe that you are there, God, but oh, help my unbelief because it threatens to overwhelm me. Jesus helps us in our prayers when we pray like that. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, oh, we thank you for sending your Son. We thank you for his goodness and his mercy, that you fitted him in his humanity to be a high priest, that you walked him through human experience so that even though he was the eternal Son of God, he learned, he experienced, he went through the path of obedience saying, I will put my trust in God the Father. Oh Jesus, we thank you that you are that kind of high priest. That when we are there in the struggles, you have been there before us. And you won the victory so that we might know that it is good to rely on you. That you are faithful to your promises. That we can stand on them. In the living word of God. We pray that you would bless us now this morning. We ask for your spirit to be at work upon our hearts. In your precious and holy name. We ask also that you would just bless our time of fellowship. In your name we pray. Amen.